Hi, it's Erin. I'm your regular co-host of First Bite. First of all, I want to thank y'all so much for tuning and listening to First Bite. We've been incredibly encouraged and excited by the feedback we've received and are looking forward to the future. In the meantime, if you've been enjoying First Bite, please take a moment, maybe pause your device to subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. This podcast started out as a small idea to bring convenient, tangible resources to SLPs and other professionals, and we value your feedback more than anything. Leaving those reviews truly helps us out. Enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. Hey, Erin, have you heard that we have a promotional code for SpeechTherapyPD.com? I think I heard the same thing. Yes. So <laughs> as if we both hadn't heard that. <laughs> but um, it's first bite. So if you log on to speechtherapypd.com and enter the promotional code first bite, it takes $10 off an annual subscription. And Aaron, do that you want to? includes all the pod courses. Yes. And we have four now. I'm not sure if y'all knew that. We have four. We have first we have bite. Yeah, we do. It's speech uncensored. Um, and in case y'all haven't heard of this lovely lady, she focuses on adults. And I know that there's a fair few of you out there that PRN impedes and or PRN in adults. So be sure to check out Speech Uncensored. And it also includes the speech link and the SLP Now podcast with Miss Marisha, who I like fangirl crush. She's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay. All right. So promo code is first bite. Whoop. Whoop. And don't let it autocorrect you to B-Y-T-E because it does it did that to me a couple times. So Woo-hoo. there it is. Woohoo! <laughs> Hi folks, and welcome to First Bite. Fed, fun, functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention, right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in Cola Town, South Carolina, and guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light and hope to the world for the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, best practice for running a private practice, and all the nitty-gritty details involving feeding and swallowing by interviewing the subject matter experts themselves. We bring the data to you. Every fourth episode, I am joined by the lovely Erin Forward, MSP, CF, SLP, a Yankee transplant who actually inspired this journey and who also walks the wild, woolly, and sometimes sticky walk of early intervention with us. Sit back, relax, and watch out for all the squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP here with tonight's guest, the one and only, only Vanita Litbeck, N-A-C-C-C SLP, and I'm hoping I still said that right, the outstanding SLP behind Speechy Side Up podcast. 
The topic of today falls in the functional category, and we're talking all things pediatric AAC with a bit of blogging, a pinch of podcasting, and a plethora of evidence-based practice. If you haven't caught the needle on her podcast, then you may know this entrepreneur through her book series, Lou Knows What to Do, published by Boys Towns Press. I'm so excited to have this powerhouse of a lady on tonight. Okay, so Vanita, did you always know that AAC and AT was your calling? And how did that grow into a podcast? Hi, Michelle. First off, thank you so much for that introduction. I feel so honored to be here today. And to answer your question, no, I did not have any idea that I was going to be doing anything related to AAC or AT. So I'll tell you the story about how I got into it. It started with grad school. And, um, you know, with grad school, it's expensive and I needed a second job while I was there. So the only job opportunity that was available was to work with a professor who specialized in AAC. And I'll tell you a story. One of the requirements was that you have some background knowledge in AAC. And before I went to grad school, my background was in psychology and I had worked at an applied behavioral analysis company. And most of the clients that I worked for um, had autism. So we did some picture exchange and my dad is a hearing specialist and I had done, you know, I knew about hearing aids. So I'm like, oh yeah, I know about AAC and AT enough to apply. Right. So I always tell people that, you know, you're never going to be an expert. You just have to get started. Um, And I still feel, don't feel like an expert now, even though I've been doing a lot with AAC for many years, but um, all that to say, I ended up getting the job And the rest is history. But after I left grad school, I went to work for my clinical fellowship at a charter school for children with autism. And we weren't doing a lot with mid-tech or high-tech devices. So I kind Mm -hmm. of took the lead on that. And I really did enjoy that clinical fellowship. That's where I met Kim, who used to co-host the Speechy Side Up podcast with me. And we'll probably talk more about her later. But um, after a year, I decided to go into clinical practice because I realized at the school, I wasn't getting enough diverse clinical opportunities. So Working at the clinical practice was awesome. I worked with about 15 different females, which you would think would be stressful, but we all got along really well. We were all about the same age. We were working really hard from eight to eight. Um, We had OTs and PTs there. So that was just a wonderful experience. But, you know, by getting exposed to more diverse clinical opportunities, I realized that my true passion was still with AAC. So we were bringing out AAC vendors. And one of the vendors I found out was hiring in our area. And so I thought it was a long shot, but it was a job that was really appealing because I got to work from home. I got to specialize in AAC and I ended up getting the job. And let me tell you, it really did help me specialize in AAC. So I know it seems like I'm kind of jumping from job to job to job at this point. And, you know, with our field, it can be very tempting because there are so many different areas that you can go into. But I have to say that if I didn't have those opportunities, I wouldn't be in the current job that I am now. I would have never gotten it. I wouldn't have been qualified. And um, I'll share what that current job is in just a second. But I got the job working at the device company and I learned all about wheelchair mounts and eye gaze technology and the different settings and how, you know, the the eye gaze can work for different populations, but it became much more specialized. So now in my current position, I work as an assistive technology program specialist for the middle school population. And I love it. 
I really, really love it. And it's kind of like the old job at the device company, but I get to work with a variety of device company, you know, different types of devices. So I feel less biased. And then um, also I like working with the school population and the geographic area is much smaller. But yeah, that's how I got started. Okay, so you're working, when you say working with middle schoolers with assistive tech and AAC, I'm thinking you're working with a population that has more severe and profound disabilities, more limited gross and fine motor skills. Is that a good assumption or are there higher functioning kids? What is your, what's your population like now? That's a really good question. It definitely varies. Um, okay. I have students who just need laptops all the way to students with complex communication needs who need eye gaze. Okay. Okay. I just needed to, I needed to visualize a picture. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm still shocked and awe that there was 15 females in a clinic together and everybody <laughs> got along because I've right. got two younger brothers and two younger sisters. And let me tell you what, one week of a month growing up, my brothers would just like dip out of the house when my sisters and I were all in the same cycle. My poor parents, <laughs> but like 15 women Huzzah for that life experience. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So you are incredibly qualified and I am in awe. I have never had the opportunity to work with a person that um, required a high functioning eye gaze device. And I'm sure one day it will come up and I am so excited about learning, but I'm the kind of person that I need to take a class like that hands-on right before I start working with the patient or as I'm working with the patient. Because I feel like if I were to take it in advance, then it, I would have a hard time having that translate over. But that's just me being I'm a kinesthetic learner, I think. 100%. But, um, if you don't yeah. use it, you lose it. I'm the same. Yes, yes. But one day it will come up and I will be very excited to learn and help at that moment. And I will call you. <laughs> I'll be here. <laughs> All right, sweet. All right. So question number one. And this is a big, broad one, but, you know, we'll tailor it down and intersperse all the case examples that you want. But if someone is interested in learning more about AAC and what resources are available, where would you recommend that they would start? That's a really good question. And it's a question that I get asked a lot um, through social media. A lot of people will reach out and message me. And so I decided to put it into a blog post since I was writing the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. So I came up with 10 different things that you can start doing today that would further your knowledge in the field of AAC. So the first one I would recommend is just getting a head start. I don't know how many of your listeners have not even attended graduate school yet. Maybe they're thinking about speech language pathology, but if they haven't, think about a program that offers AAC classes. You would be surprised how many graduate programs don't. Um, but mm. thankfully, I think they're moving more and more towards having more AAC classes and making it a requirement. But if you are an SLP, there are some great online courses that you can check out. I would say the AAC Academy from Anne Page and then Speech Therapy PD, yeah, where you work, Michelle, or um, work with. They have some great courses as well. Okay, who it was AAC by Ann Page, mm -hmm, the AAC Academy. Yep. Okay, I don't know that one. I'm looking. I'm, I'm pulling that one up. Okay. Now, what was the title of this blog post that you did? I believe it was Ten Ways to Boost Your AAC Knowledge. So it's on okay. the Speechy Side Up website. Okay. 
And so then, you know, something that you could do after you take some online courses would be attend conferences and conventions. And there are some really awesome AAC conferences. Uh, To name a few, there's ATIA, there's AAC in the Clouds, which is an online conference, uh, CSUN, Closing the Gap, AAC in the Desert, and Isaac. And then there's actually smaller trainings around the country that you can attend, such as the Men Speak Language Seminar Series and LAMP. Oh, we've had um, we had Becca Hoke on from um, LAMP. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, she, I I'm totally biased. Love her. Think just the, she's she is so delightful and um, super nerdy like us, which is very (laughs) encouraging. (laughs) Okay. All right. So um, the first one that you listed on your conferences, it was the AT. That's a very large one. Yep. It's it's becoming bigger. Okay. Because I have a couple of friends that go and they say there's like several hundred SLPs that go. Now, did they move that one across the country? They don't. That one stays in Orlando and it's in January every year. Okay. Well, that's not too far from you now that I know that you're in Florida and not California. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So within those resources, if you have this is where I felt overwhelmed when I started with AAC um, and, and I started learning more because I didn't feel like I was a green clinician and in, in retrospect, like I totally was, but I thought I knew, you know, knew enough to know enough, um, did not. Uh, but I say that because if you have a limited budget, but you've got, say you've got a caseload that has primarily worked with low tech, picture exchange, heavy nouns, and they need more bang for their buck um, and and more hands on. Is there one in particular that you would recommend? Is there um, for folks to get started on? And I'm referencing the live ones here. The webinars or the conferences? The conferences. The, the um, you know, it depends on geographic location. My understanding is that AAC in the desert is very similar to ATIA, but it's just out west. I think it's in Arizona. So, and I love those because they are so specialized. Like, I feel like I would never present at those just because, like, the big wigs in AAC do. So, AAC in the desert and ATIA would probably be my top two. Okay. All right. So there it is, folks. Go check those out. And I like that. That gives folks one on like West Coast time and East Coast, a little bit easier traveling schedules. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we have functional resources for learning from, but it's one thing to learn and another thing to actually implement within the classroom. So what are your go-to resources for implementing in a classroom, in home? How do we go about implementing these? Sure. Yeah. And um, what I would just recommend is because I only covered two of the topics that I would recommend or two of the activities I would recommend for boosting your AAC knowledge. So if you want to learn more, definitely go check out that blog post. Oh, I didn't mean to jump the gun. I'm so sorry. No, no, that's okay. There's a lot of them. Do you want me to keep going? Are you sure? Yes. Okay. I'm so sorry. No, no, that's okay. I got excited. (laughs) I was like, I don't know. I've I've figured people might count. So, okay, I'll keep going then. Yeah, continue. I'm so sorry. I got excited. All right. I'll count before each one. So that way, you know. 
Yes, that works. Perfect. So my third recommendation would be to visit your local assistive technology center. So, if, you know, if there's no webinars coming up or the conferences are far out, um, see if you have a local assistive technology center. Where I live in the state of Florida, we have six called FAST throughout the state. And you can, um, you, they offer device loans. They can talk to you about AAC funding. Uh, so they're online. There's the AT Center database. You can just put it in Google and it should come up and it'll show you where your local assistive technology center is. Okay. And then I'm, I'm checking that out. And while you're doing this, this is so delightful to me. All right, continue. <laughs> sure. Okay. Number four would be to get social on social media. Um, Michelle and I have met through social media and podcasting, and it's honestly one of the most helpful resources I have found, uh, especially the AAC for the SLP group on Facebook. So it's nice because you can post a question on there and receive a response almost immediately. Uh, one thing to keep in mind, though, uh, Gail Van Tatenhove, we had her, she's like the core vocabulary guru. She came on the podcast and she was saying that it's fantastic that people are, are using social media, but we just have to be very aware of this AAC assessment through social media. So this is where an AAC device or communicate, communication app is recommended on social media without considering the individual specific needs because it's easily accessible or it's more familiar to the clinician. Um, so we just want to be sure that we're performing an AAC assessment and a device trial to determine which system works best for the individual. And I like to compare it to this. So if we needed eyeglasses, we wouldn't buy them without getting an eye exam. So mm -hmm. because our individuals need AAC, we shouldn't be buying a communication app without doing an AAC exam. So to say. Um, and just food for thought, the uh, I have AAC for the SLP Facebook page. They're much kinder, but some of the AAC or some of the SLP forums on Facebook land can go to dark, deep, scary holes very quickly and people can give um, uh, inaccurate device and be mean. <laughs> so right. make sure that when you post a question that it, the answer is given with knowledge and wisdom. And it's always helpful to do so with kindness and grace because sometimes it's unpleasant, <laughs> but there it is. I hope Sorry. The more we say that. No, I hope the more we say that, that people actually respond because I feel so bad for people that are like just trying to get more information and then they get totally shot down on some of these yeah. forums. It's so unfair and it's not, it's not professional. We'll just say that, but yes, yes. If okay. You, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, the SIGs, if somebody is a member of the SIG, SIG 12, special interest group 12, they have a, um, Q and a, on the uh, ASHA app and you can post a question on if you're a member of SIG 12 then you, you can post a question for free on that forum and some of the greats in the AAC field actually answer it for free and it's monitored by ASHA to make sure that professionalism and evidence-based guidance is given so uh, that's just food for thought if you don't want to get into the dark scary holes of Facebook sometimes so all right I'll be quiet now. No, that was a great <laughs> recommendation. I'm glad you mentioned it. And then I would say following AAC related blogs. So if you're not following the practical AAC blog after this episode, make sure you go and follow it. She shares so many amazing resources. And she was probably one of the first AAC blogger. And then there's the AAC girls blog and the dynamic therapy associates blog. 
And then I would say another suggestion would be to take trainings offered by device companies. So I know a lot of people have mixed feelings about taking device specific trainings, but Honestly, how else will you know what to recommend for your clients if you don't know what technology is available? And it may help to know that most of the consultants for these companies are therapists and are ethically bound to adhere to their organization's code of ethics. So I would just recommend taking trainings from different device companies, not just one. Um, They do offer ASHA CEUs usually, but um, by taking different device company trainings, it'll allow you to make your own decisions and recommendations when it comes to AAC evaluation. And then I have two more. Um, It would be to listen to AAC-related podcasts. Um, Podcasting is becoming so popular nowadays, hence our um, conversation today. And uh, the Talking with Tech podcast, the AT Tips podcast, and um, my own speechy side up, we some specialize in AAC and then some cover different episodes with AAC. And then yours too, Michelle, you have a couple different AAC related ones. Yep. We've had uh, two with Dr. Carol Page, uh, one with Rebecca Hoke, and one with Stephen Neese, and then this one. So we've we've had a couple different episodes, but... Um, it, it, and that's the catch. AAC is so broad. There's so many different subcategories within that it, it makes sense that there's that many different lecture options available. So our podcast options available. Yeah, that's a really it, good point. I would say that my specialty is probably more assistive technology, more like higher tech, um, mm-hmm. children with complex communication needs than just basic AAC with core vocabulary. But yeah, I mean, you how ha- you have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my next two or my last two recommendations would, one of them would be to watch YouTube videos. So I don't know, some people are more of a visual learner like myself. Um, there's some really great channels like wings works. Um, and then I'll talk about that a little later. Uh, Lindsay Payton Carkill, she used to work for lamp, but she has a really nice YouTube channel. And then Rachel Maddell SLP, who is the co-host on talking with tech. And I hope I said her last name correctly. <laughs> That's, I, I love how we're all speech pathologists. So we're like so attuned to the fact that we butcher other people's spelling. That's so funny. Oh my goodness. Yes. Okay. Um, my last one, which is the one I'm most excited about, is that you can get apps for free. Like all of the communication apps as an SLP, you can get for free. Did you know that? Wait, what? Yes. I know every time I tell somebody this or a professional this, they're like, what? Like I bought it, you know, during their, they have 50% off sales um, two times. The first three days. Yeah. Yeah. I got lamp for for, for 50% off, but you're telling me I can get that for free. Continue talking because I have a patient. (laughs) So they all have like requirements, whether it's to take like one of like one or two of their trainings or just go on a wait list. But there's a blog post by Amazing Kids and they talk all about the different requirements for each communication app and how to get the app for free. So it's on my blog post, the link, but I think if you just go to amazing kids apps for free for SLPs, you should be able to find that post. Okay. It's called amazing kids. Yep. O M A Z I N G. Okay. Spelling counts because what popped up was not what I was looking for. (laughs) Amazing kids. All right. All right. I will have to check this out. All right. 
uh, well, my stars, because I've got one kiddo right now that uh, they don't have an AAC device in. Actually, the one that we were chit-chatting about before we get started, um, and he has Rubenstein Taby, and I really think he would benefit from something, but uh, our fine motor skills and my schedule with the OT hasn't uh, worked out as of yet, but he's starting to get frustrated from a functional language, but sign language is inhibited because of his fine motor. And so I'm trying to find something in it. Yeah. Okay. I, now that I have this wonderful bit of news, I will have fun when we get off uh, the, the phone today to set that up. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's a plethora right out the gate. Well, then, thank you. That's a good way to get started. <laughs> you know, but okay, but what about implementing? Because that's the part that I always feel like I put that's now you know why I jumped the gun because that's the part that I feel like I have um, r- significant room for improvement. It's the implementing of the AAC. What resources do you recommend for that? Yeah, I, I agree. Implementing it, you know, learning about it and then putting it into practice are two completely different things. Mm-hmm. So research to practice, that's there's always a rub in every professional setting there. But yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, watching a video and then going and trying it. And you're like, wait, <laughs> this doesn't work the same. But I will share some of my favorite resources for implementing AAC. Um, the first, you know, I mentioned earlier is the practical AAC blog. So I usually use that blog for specific articles to support a strategy I'm recommending for the team or um, for research-based evidence. I mean, you can also go to Asha, but she does usually include like citations or references in her articles. So, and it's practical. That's why it's practical AAC, but I love that one. And then Wings Works. I did mention that earlier too. The reason I like that YouTube channel is because they provide a video for every core word. So these core words like that and get and can can be so abstract. And it's like, how do I teach that in context? So they give you like 10 different ways to teach those words and model them throughout the day, which is really great. Oh, Um, that's so wonderful. Yeah. And it's free. It's so great. Um, Okay. Wings Works. Yeah. Wings Works. W-I-N-G-S-W-O-R-K-S. Okay. All right. I found them. Yay. (laughs) Oh, well, this is precious. Okay. Well, let me not play it now. Let me behave myself, but I will um, uh, email myself this link. Okay. Wings Works. Yeah, you'll love it. And then another resource that I use all the time is the AAC modeling packet from Speechy Musings, her TPT store. It's fantastic. It has like a PowerPoint in there to train staff. It has like a modeling challenge. So that one's a great one. And then um, the core word door hangers from Speech Room News. I love those because you can like put those all around the classroom and the school. And it's just a nice reminder of the core word that you're supposed to be modeling on the student's AEC device. Translate this. Is it customizable? What do you mean core word door hangers? I've never heard of this before. Yeah, that's a great question. It is customizable uh, because... Uh, Jenna from Speech Room News, she, I don't think she has a license to the different company symbols, but there's like a box and you can click on it. And if you have a picture of the symbol, you can just like upload it into the door hanger. 
Um, alternatively, you don't even have to put the symbol because it's really a reminder for the staff, not necessarily the student, to model on their device. So you could just have the word listed there. So let's say your core word of the week was go. You would have go written on the door hanger and um, hang it, like I said, all around the classroom or the school. And every time you walk by it, it's like a reminder to go and model some phrase that includes go on the student's AAC device. I just found this. This is lovely. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's so helpful. It's literally a door hanger. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I was I was like, I don't understand. What does she mean? It's literally a door hanger. Okay. Oh, that's precious. Fantastic. Oh, isn't she pretty? She, <laughs> she has kind eyes. Okay. All right. So um, y'all, the, it's Jenna Rayburn Kirk, M-A-C-C-C-S-L-P. Um, and that's the SLP behind Speech Room News. Um. Oh, that's fantastic. And this was published uh, August 26, 2018. Okay. Okay. Um, before I jump into the next one, do you have any other one? Because this is where I want the court, the case examples. Yeah, <laughs> I have three more. Are we doing okay on time? You're totally okay. fine on time. I'm just enjoying myself that much. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking so much, but. <laughs> uh, we got all the time, baby. Okay. No worries. Perfect. All righty. Um, so the fifth recommendation I would have for implementing AAC is Tar Heel gameplay. I recently found out about this and I don't know how I've been doing therapy without it. It is from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Basically what this program allows you to do, and it's free, is to take YouTube video links and embed it into their program. And then you can have the video pause at specific times and a core word or any word pops up. And then the student would either hit that word on their AAC device to make the video keep going, or they could hit a switch if they use switches to make the video keep going. I'm, I'm sending this to some of my former students while we're talking because I just <laughs> found it. Tar Heel Gameplay. Yes. Oh, this is wonderful. It's so nice. Um, and, you know, I know some schools don't allow YouTube. And I think there's a workaround. There's like a couple of different sites that will let you use YouTube or you can like download them onto a drive and then bring it to school. But Tar Heel cool. Gameplay is awesome. A lot of our little ones, um, you know, we see in outpatient clinics um, or after school or in the homes. And uh, what I have found is that, unfortunately, screen time is uh, an overabundance in those natural environments. And uh, for some of my families that we have gotten AAC equipment in the home, they have they don't understand why we need it to have it as like a designated talker and I'll come in and see siblings playing on YouTube or siblings playing on the device on video games that they've downloaded onto their younger or older siblings um, communication device. So a perk being that they have YouTube already downloaded in their settings so that we can access it. But ah, that's, all right, that's that's a question for the next section, but continue. I'm so sorry, but this is no. That's a good point. Org. That's great. Are yeah. you familiar with guided access? Yeah, okay. and what I have found is that uh, siblings, especially very smart six and seven year old siblings, know how to get out of guided access if they hear one of their parents or see one of their parents block guided access or turn it on and turn it off. 
And I'm thinking of one little girl in particular, sweetest little thing, curly brown hair, just as precious as they come. And she's like, he's done with his speech for today. And then she'll like take off with the iPad <laughs> oh, no. and like I turn off guided access. And I'm like, okay, so that tells me about the carryover that's transpiring when I'm not here. Yeah, like, that's so frustrating. Yeah, They're so yeah. smart, these kids. They know how to find the passwords. And mm-hmm. I think if mm-hmm. the iPad turns off, when it comes back on to guided access doesn't stay on, but you can go into the settings and restrictions and just like take off the internet completely. So if it's a big problem, I would just recommend that. See, I'm thinking for some of my kiddos, that would be a good option. But for some of my other kiddos, uh, parents use that to, so that they can have a break as a parent. So, which is, I mean, we all have different walks. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no right or wrong. It's definitely a topic that comes up a lot. I feel like it's those gray areas, you know, mm-hmm. should we take it all completely? Should we not? But mm-hmm. I don't like gray and I have a lot of gray hair, but I don't like gray. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So lay it on me. What's, what's your next resource? Um, my next one would be the core word classroom from assistive wear. It's okay. also free and assistive wear are the same, it's the same company that developed Proloquo to go. So they have these really awesome core word of the week planners. And so for every core word, like let's say go again, I I don't know. That's like my go-to, no pun intended, but they have (laughs) like literacy based activities that go with it. Videos that go with it. um, Books, like I guess that goes with literacy, but books that you can use with to model that word. So it's a really fantastic resource. Oh, this is delightful. I just pulled this up. I mean, can you tell that I am a a visual person that I'm having to do this while we're we're looking at it? Okay. It's good to have a reference. <laughs> yeah, download. It has the entire outline and template. That's fantastic. Yep, yep, it's great. Okay. So, how often do I mean, do we actually Like when you're teaching a core word, do you go through and do it once a week or do you end up spending longer on it? Because I normally need anywhere from two to four weeks to actually get some of these core words absorbed and learned and carried over. Um, But do you normally rotate that quickly? That's a good question. It's definitely like a student by student basis. I would say that if you are working in like a classroom setting and you're using a core word approach with the whole classroom, then you probably want to do like one a week, um, depending on how your students catch on. Um, It's really important to recognize how many times you actually have to model a core word um, for it to stick. Uh, There's research that says it could take up to 400 repetitions. So Mm -hmm. I have a teacher that has a clicker and she doesn't need it anymore. But in the beginning, she was using that to count how many times she was modeling the word. And it just made her more aware of how many times she actually had to use it and how many times she was not. Um, and then I would definitely take data like student by student. And then if they need to be, you know, during speech therapy, maybe it's being carried out or generalized um, past that one week. But I think to keep it moving, one week might be sufficient for a classroom-based instruction. Uh Um, The SLPs behind that are Jennifer Martin and Amanda Hartman, uh, just so y'all, when you're looking it up. But that's fantastic. Oh, for the Core Word Classroom? Yeah, they're great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And then my last resource is actually one that um, I developed just based out of need. It's in my TPT store, but there is a free version. So it's a lesson planning template. Um, So you would put your month and then it gives you ideas for implementing that core word each day of the week. So like Monday, for instance, might be like, how could you use this word in morning lesson? And then you would put the way that you're going to model it during the morning lesson. And then there's data tracking sheets for those words as well. Oh, fantastic. Ha, huh. we love our data. Yes, definitely. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm like, we love our data. <laughs> I say that as I definitely did an entire session a couple weeks ago where um, we were just working on put in or pour in. And it was a, uh, uh, with a little one who's on the spectrum. And it was, it's, you know, it's hot in South Carolina and the air doesn't exactly move when summer rolls in and he had his little water, water table activity. And by the end of it, I mean, he was just splashing and carrying on. And one of my girlfriends, when she saw the picture, she goes, she goes, so how well, how, how did the data collection go? I was like, it did not. Everything was soaked. (laughs) (laughs) We attempted, but you know what? He said more pour in and add water than he had in basically the last two years of therapy. So well done. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it's really hard to balance it. Like you want to be engaged in your session and, Mm -hmm. you know, totally immersed, but then you're like, wait, I got to get the data too. It's hard. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's, and it also has to be fun. And sometimes I feel like we could get so stuck on like notching down, you know, our tally marks that we forget, you know, yeah, that was, absolutely. That, that balance. There, there it is. The balance. <laughs> I want to, since we're talking about data, um, I'm not familiar about other communication apps, but I know LAMP and uh, TouchChat, they both have a feature in there that tracks data automatically for you through Realize Language. Oh, that's fantastic. Wait, I feel like I, I learned that at a LAMP training an eon ago, but had forgotten that. Yeah, I think it's one of those things like you hear, but you don't really like I act. This is really sad. I worked for the company. I talked about it all the time. But actually, in the last two weeks, I was like, hey, let me turn on the data tracking feature for these trials that are going on. And it has made like the classroom, the classroom staff's life so much easier. I'm like, why didn't I think about this before? So I understand that. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Ah, that's that's your that's a humble pie moment. We need those every once in a while. Hey, I'm not sure if you've caught the updates yet, but I have the pleasure, if you haven't seen it already, of announcing the 2020 SpeechTherapyPD.com Conference at Sea. We are going aboard a Royal Caribbean Alaskan cruise departing Vancouver, British Columbia, July 10th through 17th of 2020. And I am thrilled and humbled to be announcing that I will be presenting. I have a a three-hour course, a two-hour course, a one-hour course, and I'm co-presenting another three-hour course. And my co-presentation will be with the one and only Lee Ann Porter of Speech Uncensored, which is Speech Therapy PD's newest adult pod course podcast that just added to our lineup. And Marisha McGordy, the guru behind SLP Now, will also be there. And if you register before September 30th, then you get a free six-month subscription to SLP Now. So again, make sure that you register before September 30th of 2019 for the Speech Therapy PD 
Conference at Sea, um, which is July 10th through 17th of 2020. And I cannot wait to see y'all aboard a ship where we're going to see real life bears and like, hopefully we'll get to see Northern Lights. So whoop, whoop, see you at sea. Bye. So we have, you've given us, my dear, you've given us a ton of resources, but how do we get the buy-in? And and I know you and I are in different settings, but at the same time, that's this is something that we have talked at length on in previous episodes. I feel like a lot of times SLPs that are in early intervention don't feel as if the child that we're working with is old enough for an AAC device. And we've given, you know, resources and support as to why we can do it um, in early intervention. But then I know I struggle with buy-in if the kiddo's in a daycare classroom because typically it's a typically developing daycare classroom at like a local church that has, you know, they're supporting a special needs child coming in for a half day or a full day or more often than not, the child that is in need of a communication device is with an older family member. And that's really common here in, especially in the Midlands part of our state. Um, and I struggle with buy-in or we get them over to a school district. And unfortunately we have in South Carolina, this is unique to our state, but I'm sure that other states have their own issues. We have what's called the I-95 corridor of shame. And it's where our most poor school districts, I mean, where buildings are literally rotting at the bases and in the ceilings and school districts are afraid to send in high tech communication devices because they get stolen Mm. and, and not necessarily by other students, but I mean, like they just, they disappear and it's, uh, poverty is extreme everywhere. But I mean, I know specifically along the 95 corridor of shame. And I say that because in the event that we can get a communication device in the child's hand and it's, you know, a higher functioning one with all the dollar signs and the bells and the whistles, or if we're in the process of doing the trials and we transfer that kid to a public school, unfortunately, a lot of our public schools are so afraid of the cost that they will stop what's going on. And I've talked to the SLPs. They really feel like their hands are tied and they'll go back and encourage the SLPs to use a low tech option. Even if we like, we're having like communication breakthroughs and all these exciting things happening. And that doesn't happen everywhere in our state, but there's definitely poor pockets where it's a legitimate concern. But all of those case scenarios Those are breakdowns and barriers for me in trying to get buy-in from caregivers, loved ones, uh, the the next round of clinicians because they don't have support behind them. So, help. (laughs) What do we do? (laughs) And you did just tell me about that like amazing free one. But, I mean, how do you get buy-in in situations? Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think that is a significant barrier. You know, it's definitely something that comes up where I live as well. Um, I live in the sixth largest school district in the country. And so with that, you're going to have a range of socioeconomic status. Um, I don't know if there's like a 
an answer to that. So to say, I think it's probably a case by case basis. Um, I do like the fact that they are using low tech. That's a good start. Um, I also think that they have to see it to believe it. So, you know, demonstrating that it's working, the high tech device and how much more effective it is than the low tech that could be beneficial. So that kind of goes along with one of my suggestions, which was, providing training. Um, however, from being a consultant and now into my current position as a program specialist, what I've found is that, you know, and, and probably even being a supervisor, if you're supervising somebody, you know that some individuals get it after the first explanation and some take up to 10 explanations or 10 sessions um, before it's ingrained. Um, but what I, what I will say is that those tend to be the best investment of your time because they usually are the ones that are so excited after they finally get it and they're totally on board. So what I would say is identify who's going to be your AAC team leader, um, preferably in the classroom, because that's the person that like, if they don't want to do it, we cannot change another person's behavior. They have to want to you know, be involved. Um, so just saying like in the classroom, like who, you know, or identifying who would be willing to use the AAC system and, um, setting up a modeling strategy once you've identified who that AAC team leader is, and then, you know, getting the other staff members as well to do a modeling self-assessment. So rating themselves on things like I model the AAC word or the core word on the student's device. I give them an expectant delay. I touch their AAC system, um, things like that. And there actually is one that I found online. I don't know the website, but if you just search um, AAC modeling self-assessment, you should see uh, one come up. And so I do a baseline with the modeling self-assessment with the team. And then I have the staff set up their own AAC modeling goals because I feel like if they set the goals, then they're more likely to achieve it because they know what's attainable for them. And then I revisit that modeling self-assessment after a set number of trainings or a period of time to see if more training is necessary. I think the biggest thing is that you can't just stop at one training. It's not sufficient at all. Okay. So my, my first question is how, when you're doing these trainings, is it before school, after school, during lesson planning period? Um, when does that training happen? Does it happen during the kids' speech therapy session? It's a great question. It's a case-by-case basis. I usually just ask the team when I can get them all together. Um, One of my teams, it's at like 8.30 in the morning before the students come. And that's really great because I'm able to get everybody. Um, Sometimes it's during lesson planning time with just the teacher and maybe the SLP. I've also done trainings through Zoom or Skype when everybody is able to get together. But usually I find that at least in my district, that the time that I can get everybody together is early morning, like early. I've done 730 before I even go into work, but that was because I could get everybody together at that time. Because I know I'm thinking down in the world of EI, um, sometimes we'll have a change review meeting, like if we're updating the IFSP. And during that time, you know, that's my opportunity to have the OT there and we can actually troubleshoot what's going on with like the fine motors access or um, 
uh, you know, it's been a minute, but I have done one with a PT where we were trying to figure out how to get uh, the device to mount uh, safely to the wheelchair. And the kid was a sensory seeker and only wanted to go 110 miles an hour in an <laughs> electric wheelchair. So like, there was that. But like, definitely thought I lost a toe once or twice. Oh my gosh, that's funny. But yeah, but I mean, he, he knew what he liked. Yeah, Steve. that's good. He knew what um, he was motivated by. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, it, that, folks out there that are listening, your IFSPT meetings now in different parts of the nation, the SLP may actually be the service coordinator and or the early interventionist or the case manager. In other parts of the nation, like in our state, we actually have a uh, an early interventionist, which is they kind of act like the glue that holds the team together. They're supposed to be in charge of um, making referrals to OTPT or speech and setting up like community supports like Medicaid waivers and those variables. And I have found some amazing early interventionists that we can work collaboratively with and get them uh, like they come to our sessions. We do a co-treatment and then they run with whatever core word that we're working on. Um, and then I have, act, and this is always touchy to go about. And you having worked in the ABA world, you understand the touchiness of the subject matter. But I have had some amazing experiences with some ABA companies that are like, okay, you tell us what device, we will get the entire team here, the um, the BCBA, the lead, all the lines, and we are going to get trained on the device and how you want us to implement it. And those kids make the most amount of progress. And then on the flip side, I have also had um, where they want to use uh, the ABA run the sessions and make decisions about the iPad to talk with, which um, is not their scope of practice. So that, that has been a unique variable trying to get buy-in. Have you also seen that? Do you have that, scope of practice encouragement down in Florida, or is that more clearly delineated in your state? It's not. That is a big challenge uh, that, you know, we encounter as well. And I like that you said that it's not their scope of practice. I try, yeah. I try to bring that up to parents, but you know, sometimes they, the parents gravitate towards who spends the most time with their child. And, you know, oftentimes the yes. ABA therapist is in the home. And so, like I said, you see it, you believe it. And the parents are seeing what's happening. They're not seeing what's happening necessarily in the school or maybe in like a private practice session, unless they're attending it. So it is really hard mm-hmm. to flip the switch. Um, I don't know a clear answer to that. That's definitely something that I struggle with as well. I actually had an ABA therapist recently tell me not to work or they asked me to present and they told me not to talk about core vocabulary. And I was like, well, I'm sorry. Like that's what's Wait, what? Yeah. Are you freaking kidding no. me? Because science and evidence is a thing. Right. What do they want you to talk about? Fringe and focus on nouns. I swear if you tell me a goldfish, I might cry. Yeah. yeah. Like- I was like, well, it's what's evidence-based. You know, ASHA stands behind it. And of course, I always recommend, you know, some fringe, 20% fringe, 80% core vocabulary. But yeah, I mean, the reason we talk a lot about core vocabulary is because it is a shift we're trying to make because most people do focus on fringe and fringe has power um, for getting kids motivated, but you can use core vocabulary simultaneously. Yeah, because that's what we talk right. about. Oh, I know. We, 
I think one of my favorite trainings I went to and I went um, pregnant, which was hysterical because I was like eight weeks before my due date with my firstborn and I was having contractions and didn't know it because fun pregnancies. And they gave us a list of core vocab and they were like, please build a sentence and like the longest sentence you can. And then they gave us one fringe word and it was P. My fringe word was P because <laughs> at like eight weeks before a due date, that's all you can think about is how much you have to be. But like, I was impressed at how much core vocab I could get to stress the fact that I had to tinkle. <laughs> so like, sorry, that's, um, Yep. Overshare. There we I go. Love it. No, and it's funny because like for whatever reason, people that are on like the fringe camp or core camp, it's like this pendulum, it seems to be, but they are all about like with AAC it only being fringe, but then yet they'll teach modified sign, which tends to be core vocabulary. You're more, you're held. Yes. And it's like, that's because those give you the most bang for your buck. So why aren't we doing that yeah. with AAC too? doesn't make any sense. Ah, because, because we have more work to yeah. do. It's like a grassroots effort. That's okay. That's why we do these things like record ourselves being nerdy to share information <laughs> on amazing, phenomenal blog spots and resources because we're trying to widen the evidence-based practice village and people out there are like, yes, girl power. I mean, I know that there's guy power too, but girly guy power. <laughs> yep. I love so. that. Okay. All right. So give me, um, we have roughly seven minutes. So give me a couple more. How do you work on establishing buy-in? Well, that was the base of my establishing buy-in. Like I said, it's something that I'm still trying to work on. So once I've got it down, you know, I'll let you know. But I would say that like in terms of classroom, you definitely need to set up the classroom for AAC success as well. Um, what does that look like? That looks like having a large core board so that everybody, you know, especially the teacher can model on the core board and the classroom can see it. And then recently at ATIA, Chris Bouguet, who is one of the co-hosts of Talking With Tech, he presented something, I think it's a newer concept that I thought was really interesting. And he talked about thinking of AAC implementation in like the same sense as RTI. So at tier one, you would have a low tech board for every student in the classroom, regardless if they were verbal or not verbal. Um, because what works for when we're making accommodations for one person, it usually helps everybody. Um, a lot of those mm -hmm. core words are sight words. So by having a low tech board for students to reference, they are benefiting. So but then at they're your adult primary reader. Yep, words. yep, exactly. Yeah. And then at tier two, if you have an individual who's been responding well to the low tech board, but yet they are still um, having trouble speaking naturally, then you might do an AAC assessment. So having low tech boards for everybody, kind of thinking in like a universal design for learning or tier one, and then a charging station. That would be like my number one recommendation because you probably know the number one excuse for not using an AAC device is, oh, it's not charged. Um, well, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's so simple too. you know, get a, uh, have a charging designated station, have your, um, what is it called? Like your power cord. And that way you never have an excuse. It's always charging. And then your core word of the week. They have that at ASHA. Sorry, Squirrel. They had that in Boston. And I remember like lingering at the charging station and just people watching because it was freezing cold outside in Boston last November. But like, Did they? I mean, yeah, where was yes. it? Um, it was, 
It was over in a corner near a board that you could put post-its on near the ribbons. Okay. It was it was near the ribbons. Sorry. Everybody, everybody is shouting. I can hear them in the car shouting like, no, it was here. It was here. <laughs> but like, yeah, they had a charging station. Sorry. But that, and that was wonderful because it, it I got to meet so many interesting people just hanging out at the charging station. I mean, I know that doesn't exactly correlate to AAC, but there it is. The power of charging. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and then I would say having your core word of the week plan and some resources in place, like your door signs, um, having like flexible data tracking. So maybe wristbands that allow you to take data. Um, some people put like a core, like a small core board in their lanyard. So there's lots of different ways you could do it. Um, and then having an adapted book library. Do you do anything with adapted oh. books? Um, I have helped to hot glue corners of like little sponges into the corners of books oh, to make great. it more accessible for kiddos to flip them. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thinking like, or uh, do you, scrunchies are back, which is absolutely mind boggling, but they have like the little mini scrunchies that um, you can find at the dollar store. And I've hot glued those in at like a tapered level that way kiddos could flip. Um, I've had, you know, I'm sure everybody out there has done the brown bear, brown bear, and, you know, matched the picture match, those kind of things. But uh, I did that, but was working on like, you know, okay, let's put it on, let's take it off. I'm signing that while we're talking, just so you know, if you hear like hand gestures. (laughs) But, uh, and, and I mean, I've done that, but what are you thinking when you're talking about a book library? Because I'm, I'm, pulling all this together in somebody's living room on their, on their carpet. <laughs> so like, no, that's fantastic. What does that look like in a classroom? Yeah. I love those yeah. suggestions. Um, and then like, I think Jenna from speech room news, she actually has a resource that creates little scripts for like really popular children's books where you can put the symbols mm-hmm. for the words. So children, when they're reading the story can match the symbol to their AAC device. That's one way to do it. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, and then just having books that like have a high frequency of those core words that you're teaching that way. Go dog. Go. Yes. There you go. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sorry, um, um, Goose just figured out he can read Go Dog Go. So we have read Go Dog Go repetitiously, and it is quite repetitious in the reading. (laughs) (laughs) It's our new favorite book right up there with, um, what is, there's some ninja book, Lego Ninjago, I think is a thing. Oh, I haven't heard that that one. Um, It's tiny karate ninja figures, and um, they have uh, level one, level two readers. It's very exciting. It's a good way to get boys involved, but um, yeah. That's great. That's a good suggestion. Yes. Lego Ninjago. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I love that. I love the embedding. Is she on teachers, paid teachers? She is. Yep. Okay. I'm just thinking how we could actually print that off. All right. All right. Can you tell me a success story? I want to hear the one that warms your heart. The one when you think back on it, like you really struggled with the buy-in and then it just clicked and the kiddo just took off. Like do you, what, what's your favorite heartwarming story? Okay. Um, it's actually a more recent one. So if you asked me like three months ago, if I would choose paperwork over difficult parents, 
I would say difficult parents because I feel like there you can always turn a difficult parent around if you just build a rapport with them. But this family in particular was definitely giving me a run for my money. And I'm newer to the school system. So I was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Like I am not... Uh, as good at talking to parents as I used to like think I was. And it was a really, really challenging case. Um, this was a middle school student who had been using AAC for quite some time. And I think the family was just getting really nervous about the student going to high school and like what that student's future was going to look like. So it all came like crashing down and like we're nearing the end of the year. And why has this device not been being used? Um, you know, where have you been as an AT program specialist? And I tried to explain like I had just started, but you know, that's not really an excuse there. We're a team. So why, you know, has the team itself not feel felt equipped to implement this device? And there's a lot of facets to that. So we can only think about, we can't really think in the past. We have to think about moving forward. So this was the team where I actually got to start really um, trying to get buy-in testing out this like modeling self-assessment and training strategies. So, and that's how I know that it was effective because I actually had to do it. And it was, um, now we're in a really good place. The students doing fantastic, the teachers, the team, they're feeling much more competent and using the device. The parent is happy. So it's a success story and I can't nice. wait to see how the student progresses in the future because, and the, the teacher has many other students in her class who uses AAC. So I think now that she feels confident in using the device with this particular student, um, all of the students in that class are going to benefit. That's awesome. See, that's why we do this. We may drown in paperwork. We may always feel like we're perpetually behind and stuff and be frustrated with physicians or families or other specialists or ourselves. But at the end of the day, it's that. You're going to put your head on your pillow and know that you gave it your all and um, did good work. That's that's so awesome. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So before we leave, because I know we have to switch over to questions because I know people will have questions. But before we leave, um, I'm loving all the tips and the advice and now have a significant amount of homework to do. But <laughs> luckily, I have been like emailing myself all of these That's links. smart. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you have the podcast, The Speechy Side Up, and you also have a blog and an Instagram account and a YouTube channel. And you have published a series of books. But uh, can you just sum up what is your mission? Tell us what your mission is. And if people want to reach you and they have questions uh, or they just want to be geeky and follow you, talk to us about that real quick. Well, yes, th those are all the areas that people can find me. Um, I would say that my mission is to help SLPs who feel isolated, to feel more connected to one another and learn what other SLPs are doing so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I also want them to feel really good about their jobs. I want them to feel confident and love what they're doing because I know it can be so easy to get into a rut. But I think by hearing other SLP stories through the podcast and like me sharing on Speechy Side Up that it can help reassure them. So that's my mission. Um, and just reaching as many SLPs as I can. Um, you know, there are some people that 
want your help. And there's some people are, that don't. So um, the people that need help want it. I want to make sure that that information is available to them through the Speechy Side Up podcast and mostly Instagram. That's where I hang out a lot. So if we're not friends already, come on over and hang out with me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and you and you do post amazing, cute stuff on Instagram because I am I am one of the followers that's like, oh, I love this. So like, <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Okay. Well, hold the line and let me switch over to questions real quick. Okay. okay. I have an update from feedingmatters.org. Are you trying to find a provider near you who routinely and frequently evaluates and treats pediatric feeding disorders? Feeding Matters provider deck direct. Just kidding, Chad. You got to scratch that one. <laughs> I should not record at the end of the day. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Michelle Dawson, you're all things peds SLP here. And I have a solution to a problem that probably frustrates you because Lord knows it frustrates me on at least once or twice a week. So here's the solution. Are you trying to find a provider near you who routinely and frequently evaluates and treats pediatric feeding disorders? Well, Feeding Matters Provider Directory is the tool that you need. It's comprehensive, easy-to-use database of feeding centers and healthcare professionals. The Provider Directory allows you to search by location and filter by services offered, preferred specialists, and diagnosis. Start your search by visiting bit.ly backslash, I swear I'm going to get that thing right, uh, FM provider directory and make sure that you submit to be listed too. That's a wrap folks. Once again, thank you for listening to first bite fed fun and functional. I'm your humble, but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the all things peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speech therapy, pd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind.